Welcome everyone to Corridor Conversations. This is Mahmoud Natout speaking to you from Corridori. You see, every day we wake up, we realize we are living in times of uncertainty. Our old normal has been forever disrupted and we are a bit clueless about what comes next. Such a condition might push us into a continuous state of emergency or fight or flight, making it hard for us to think of our lives beyond survival mode. For me, corridors have become a metaphor for vision and perspective on human interaction, fit for a world where uncertainty and unpredictability have become the norm. And so the main purpose of this show is to explore every time a fresh perspective on living life more creatively during times of radical change. And joining me in my corridor today is Samira Shatila. Our corridor conversation will be about Samira and her magic carpet and how magic carpets may give us a fresh perspective on living more fully during these times. Now, Samira gifted me a corridor carpet and I love it. I love corridors, she loves carpets. And of course, this got us talking about both. And I loved Samira's take on carpets, or as she put it, her carpet diem. So, Samira, welcome to this show. I'm really excited about having you on it. And I've been yearning to have this conversation for more than two weeks now, I think, yes, about carpets and corridors. So welcome. Thank you for your lovely introduction. Let us start with this general question, because this is at the core of what this show is about. So how do these strange, as you call them, or magical carpets help you explore ways of living more fully during times of radical change, of uncertainty? Let me tell everybody that we've had a conversation over WhatsApp on what carpets mean to you. And I was fascinated by your stories about carpets and how you view them. Uh, and so maybe you could take us on a magic or a strange carpet ride in how you understand carpets and how they help you uh, think differently about this current situation that we're all facing uh, globally and not just in Lebanon. So over to you. Thank you for um, having me uh, on your episode today. Um, it's very exciting as this is my first podcast. Um, um, actually, first time I'm an interviewee or um, a guest on a podcast. Uh -huh. So it's actually exciting. And the first few, uh, my first experience with podcasts was with your two previous ones. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's actually really exciting, you know, to, to have a first experience as um, a consumer of it in a way, and mm -hmm. then a participant, and maybe in the future, a producer, <laughs> you never know. That's amazing. And that makes, that makes two of us. I, I'm a beginner at this as well, and I love it. And, you know, there's something special about a beginner's mindset. Uh, it gets us to be open <clears throat> about so many different things. So uh, we're, we're both, on, we're both, I'm not going to say in the same boat, but on the same carpet right now. <laughs> I, I want to give you kind of like um, I want to paint a picture for you mm -hmm. of what a carpet is to me and Beautiful. what it means and to do that I have to tell you a bit more about what carpets I'm talking about so I'm not talking about um, commercial carpets like rugs that's, that are like uh, that you can purchase them from um, a supermarket or uh -huh. anywhere. Don't get me wrong. Each carpet has its own personality. Each carpet has its own story and uh, of, of creation and of being, right? Uh -huh. But I'm talking about a particular type of carpets, Persian carpets in particular, which formed a huge part of my childhood. As my grandma was a, was a carpet merchant and she had... Um, a little tapestry shop in a way uh -huh. where she actually had um, Iranian uh, people working with her and um, they worked together on weaving carpets and uh, sometimes purchasing Persian carpets. Mm -hmm. So she was involved in both creation of um, carpets and uh, selling carpets, but of a particular type, not the commercial ones. And it sounds strange selling non-commercial uh, carpets but, yes. uh, but but that's the duality of um, what a carpet can be right it can be commercial it can be non-commercial and it can be a lot more so it's a very nuanced um, item you, you, the line between the carpet being a subject and an object is very thin 
So when I think of it, so as I as I grew up seeing um, how carpets were made and how they were sold and how they were discussed and why people uh, walked in and purchased them and how much money they were willing to put, how much was too much, how much was too little. Um, I think a lot is lost, even though those conversations seemed to me as a child, like I was like um, maybe eight years old, observing and listening to those conversations between my grandma and um, her customers. You would think that they're talking about a lot of details, but once you sit with the weaver and talk more about it, you realize that that conversation that impressed me was not even half as impressive as what I heard underground where the carpet was being made. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so it 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 looks like a material collection of um, of uh, of wool or strings and threads, but it's more of a material collection of the weaver's decisions. Mm-hmm. So that's what a carpet is very briefly. So it has all of the weaver's uh, thought, uh, expertise, knowledge, hesitations, compromises in design, mm-hmm. um, mistakes, noticeable, unnoticeable ones, intended ones, um, uh-huh. taste, purposely abandoned ideas sometimes. So sometimes the weaver decides, I don't want to include this. Or sometimes the weaver decides, you know what, maybe I can go without this one. So there's a lot of improvising involved and playfulness. Um, So a carpet is, it's it's like every carpet is a project in a way. It's it's a project of its own. Uh And it's very difficult to find two identical carpets. There are twin carpets. So if you go to a Persian carpet shop, you would and ask for twin carpets you will find but even those twin carpets are not identical exactly identical there are always there's always something that's not identical so there's a lot of you know mystery mm-hmm. so the weaver's strays in thought or creativity are uh, imprisoned and locked inside of a carpet mm-hmm. so once this carpet is weaved there is no going back from the weaver's decisions. So they are locked in this carpet Mm -hmm. for a lifetime, forever, and they're there to stay, for people to see. And um, sometimes they might notice, sometimes they might not notice, but that's what happened. So it's kind of like how we live our lives. And, you know, we make decisions, but that's, um, but some, and sometimes those decisions have irreversible consequences. And this is particularly the type of consequences um, that this that carpets hold. So that I'm talking about handmade open carpets, not yeah. machine made. And yeah. that's why that's how I um, define commercial and non-commercial. I loved I loved something that you told me over over a message, uh, which mm-hmm. is a play on words in Arabic, which is you said these these mistakes, imperfections, sometimes deliberate, sometimes unintended. Uh, you know they get trapped or imprisoned as you said uh, in the carpet which is imprisoned and you said not mahsubi and i love that uh, can you can you like reflect on how these two notions uh, mm-hmm. that are that are part and parcel of the fabric of carpets right and how they uh, and and how they are made and woven together how this has helped you, let's say this past year, let's, let's be a bit more specific because this past year has been really crazy. Mm-hmm. Can you think of an experience or an anecdote, maybe the one you're just experiencing right now, where you could reflect on this carpet as a metaphor, the process or the project of a carpet as you explain it, as a metaphor to reflect on how you are trying to deal with the current uncertainty you're experiencing and to live more fully? Yes. Um, I will try to. Um, yeah. And if you, I think, if you make yeah. unintended imperfections, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be part of I this think, carpet. <laughs> I, I think it's inevitable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so to answer your question, like how can I um, analogically perhaps think of yeah. how um, this carpet, um, I think of my life as a carpet uh, at these particular times. So, so sometimes... Um, carpet design necessitate a relationship to memory Mm -hmm. so even the most creative carpet designs the starting point was not a zero point I mean it was zero in terms of material like you you will have to get all of the materials from scratch 
and to prepare them, kind of like cooking, you need to prepare them. You have to prepare your materials to create a carpet, but the materials, there are not only physical materials that you have to prepare, there's also uh -huh. the mental material that you need. <laughs> and and this is in the form of your memory, your images of what you've seen and what, um, uh, what previous designs. So there's a lot of reliance on what you are actually familiar with in order to be able uh, to create deviations, simple, gradual, incremental, but important deviations from the design that you are familiar with, familiar with mm -hmm. to actually be innovative. Mm -hmm. So innovation is in reality a deviation. It's yeah. not reinventing the wheel. It's not about creating something, you know, new from scratch, discovering the unknown. Yeah. It's about um, those nuanced deviations that make the, the new product different from what it was in a way. And this is why we are not um, replicas of each other. So I am not a replica of my father. My father is not a replica of his mother, his mother, you know. We are deviations or mutations. And of course, there is some new added um, components to this mix. But there is something from what has previously existed. So it's not from thin air. It didn't come out of nowhere. It uh -huh. came from somewhere. So we have to have this confession. Um, it didn't come out confession. from vacuum, right? Yes it, yes. it can be vacuumed, though, but it didn't come out from right. vacuum. I'm, I'm kidding. This is a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> Carpets can be vacuumed. Okay, never mind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's harmful for some carpets. You have to pluff them, not vacuum yeah, them. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I, that's, a, that's a good point also. It might ruin the carpet. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to but, interrupt, but yes. No, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. So you can actually carp uh, vacuum commercial carpets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there's not much to be lost. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but um, yeah. So I, when I think of these new challenges that we are facing mm -hmm. and how I'm dealing um, with this new um, reality, for me, it's kind of like using the material that I have or the skills that I have developed, but I'm repurposing some of my energy, mm -hmm. my um, uh, time, my, my ways of doing things to do them differently. And that includes uh, my perception. So I'm trying to be as selective as I can to what intimidates me um, while being, for example, at home, um, isolated from people because, you know, you have to keep a distance from everyone and to kind of learn how to live with myself. It's not like I don't know how to live with myself, but it's it's different now. I've never had to live with myself for that long. Um, some I'm seeing a lot of memes, for example, online that are like, I've never imagined that I used to leave the house five times a week. And some people were like, yeah, sometimes it went up to six. And, and people are joking about that. But, but yeah, that's true. It's the new reality. But, but nevertheless, that doesn't mean that um, we will have to purchase solutions for this new reality mm -hmm. to think of okay something new and different that I have never done before should be done to be able to cope with this new reality it's about taking something from what was you know BC to 29, 2019 BC before COVID <laughs> and to um and to kind of like um yeah think of okay I I, I have those you know, I had this kind of routine. How does it fit with today? What do I need to change? What do I need to mm -hmm. modify? So it's about being um, selective and critical. And again, I like the word nuanced because really it's um, the details that matter and the, the, these gradual and liminal changes that you have to make. Mm -hmm. So these are the those minor changes that you have to make that, uh, you know, calibrate your life. You have to calibrate your life. You're not doing something from scratch. It's just about calibration. Yes, some challenges are louder than others, but um, you need to know how to do. How of course, I don't believe in the person, not all problems are individualistic, right? It's not always about mm -hmm. just you and how you deal with things, but for what can be controlled at least. Yes, that's a beautiful point that you just made. And uh, let me just reflect on it with you a little bit, because sometimes when we hear about, you know, these uncertain times, this disruption, this major disruption that's happening globally, not just because of the pandemic, but because of so many other things happening all at once. Sometimes we are led to believe that 
we are entering a new normal where everything is going to be radically different. And I love what you said that maybe it is not so much so, like things will be different, but like a carpet where you, you know, where it's creation doesn't start with the material you're actually using to create it, but from memory and history and many other things, maybe we need, as you said, to calibrate, uh, to, to adjust, to modify things, but like a carpet, carpet where you are weaving it on the go. I remember in, in your message to me, you said, you know, when you are doing it, uh, you are in the middle of it, there are decisions to be made. Um, you know, and they get locked in the carpet, but you are weaving on the go. And I like that because I don't think that, yes, we are entering a new normal, but it's not going to be like we've moved to a different planet, right? We're still on earth and we still have that history to bear on our shoulders, which is not going to leave us. We're not, you know, having a blank slate, a fresh new start. So after COVID ends, if it, if it, if it will anytime soon and are we entering a, an altogether new normal, for example, like because everything uh-huh. is in the air right now, will, will we ever go back to in-person, uh, uh, you know, learning and teaching, education? Will we ever go back to in-person training? Will we ever go back to, uh, will everything shift online? How much of the old will be retained in the new system? And a lot of... Um, media out there, you know, that we get bombarded with on a daily basis, kind of sometimes goes a little bit post-apocalyptic on us and say, you know, uh, that's it. The old normal is gone forever. It was going to be gone, but what COVID did is expedited or or just sped up the whole process. But I love what you said about what you, what, how you're thinking about these times that it's not an, you know, altogether uh, a reset button that we're resetting or, you know, starting a blank page, page altogether. There's something that we have to retain, but that we can work with. So this is something okay. that you got me thinking about just now. And I love it. And I thought, if you want to add anything about that, that, that would be amazing. Okay, this carpet that we were talking originally about, I'm always going to tie it to the carpet, um, the Bukhara Yamut, the carpet that um, that I got you. So, um, uh-huh. I mean, all carpets in general are deceptively simple because nothing about it is simple from creation, as we said, the physical or the material components that it required. Mm-hmm. So you're asking me about the after COVID times, the AC yeah. <laughs> component of it, 2021 AC, I hope. <laughs> so... Um, how will that period change? So just like how we uh, relied on what we knew before COVID, there is something that we'll, we will retain from the COVID period as well that will be weaved into the post-COVID period mm-hmm. and not entirely. So we did not lose our entire pre-COVID life, mm-hmm. as you can see. Mm-hmm. And and we will not also entirely lose the newly acquired uh, post-COVID or, or COVID actually during COVID mm-hmm. skills, kind of like the Zoom meetings and all of that. Like this mm-hmm. is a marvelous, crea- not creation actually, mm-hmm. uh, software, <laughs> because mm-hmm. it existed before COVID, but it was just not popular. Yes. There was no need for it. So again, we didn't even have to create much if you come to think about it. We just had to use more. Mm-hmm. So we increased the use of something rather than create something entirely new. The only thing we're trying to create now is the vaccine, and which is already um, in the works and actually has been produced. Um, even if, it, you know, regardless of efficiency, I know it's it's important to for a vaccine to be effective, right? But I mean, the point is that there's already something um, to, ha- there is already an initial product. Mm-hmm. So even vaccines, by the way, um, they are de- de- developed in a similar fashion. So Mm -hmm. uh, what is challenging about COVID, it's like it's not very compliant or complacent with previous modes of production of vaccines. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean COVID is the only virus that had that many challenges Mm -hmm. um, in vaccine development, because many viruses in the past have uh, have had um, have posited similar challenges. So to continue to to answer your question even more. Mm -hmm. So the Bukhara Yamut carpet again. You know, the design that you have is actually yeah. has been discontinued. Uh-huh. Okay. It was created in the 1960s and it was discontinued. Um, but then there was actually a newer version of it. It's also a Bukhara Yamut, but of a slightly different way of production. And and uh, this new Bukhara Yamut is, um, 
is different from the older ones, the one that you have, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that the knots are not as compact or sturdy. As, I mean, they are, but relatively less. Mm-hmm. Um, the mode of production is slightly different. Um, the sizes differ. Um, the, the story behind it differs because, you know, um, it's no longer about the nomadic uh, character of the story. It's more about, it's more commercial. Yes. So the quality is even different. But nevertheless, if you look at it, for someone who's, again, walking by a carpet shop and sees both, they will not know the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the new, the Bukhara 2.0, if you want to think about it, actually, it's more commercial because it, it, it's more fitting to today's world than what it was back then. Mm-hmm. So, so, it so? Did have, so it had to change. It had to evolve. It's more yeah. commercial. Mm-hmm. And, you know, consumerism is something now. And you have, you know, um, the idea of you want to produce in mass um, in mass quantities and it's mm-hmm. uh, no longer about... So 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 why was the Bukhara Yamut created? Let's go back so that... Be, I think this story is important because yes. it, it helps explain this, uh, this change, this uh, transition from non-commercial to commercial carpets. So in tribal communities... Um, um, all family members contribute to the economic life of the tribe. And, and um, in times of economic austerity, the women's contribution was this carpet. So they would actually weave those carpets and sell them to wealthy uh, tribal families. Mm-hmm. And this would actually help uh, with the family's economic situation. So it's not like they did it just for the fun of it. They, there was a need for this perfect masterpiece to be created. But now people keep up with their economic lives now. They have to do something that is um, time savvy and kind of like uh, fitting uh, with today's uh, needs and requirements. So if you have a family, you're not going to spend, I don't know how long to weave one carpet yes. and to sell it to someone who you're not sure is going to buy it. You're going to do something maybe a bit more compromised Mm-hmm. But you will, um, but it's affordable, so you will know that it will sell, and and yeah, so you don't entirely lose the character of the carpet, but you have to make compromises. So so here the compromising is not only at the level of the weaving; it's at the level of the carpet itself, and and the market, the the circuit it's flowing in, right? It had a different direction at the beginning and now it's it's for someone else it's not even uh, concerned with whether it's being sold to a tribe or not or whatever like you know um mm-hmm. yeah it, it reached lebanon right yes so let me ask you this yeah based on your explanation which maybe you could summarize after i ask you this question of why you consider these carpets as flying carpets or magical carpets or <laughs> strange carpets I'll give you, you know, a couple of minutes to explain this to our audience. But based on what you've just described, can we say that today's carpets, in comparison to the older ones, uh, based on everything that you've just described and explained, that shift and, uh, you know, consumerism, commercialization of of carpet uh, making uh, and, you know, families wanting to produce more carpets uh, on a more mass scale in order to sell them. And, and make money, does that make them less magical, less strange, uh, and, and le- less of flying carpets? What do you think? So first, if you could tell me and tell everybody why you consider them as flying carpets or magical carpets or strange carpets, and if today we can still call carpets uh, that. So I will answer your second part of the question first, because mm-hmm. it will pave the way for my for my answer to the the first question i think this order might work better awesome so um okay i can summarize the process of um, carpet creation not for all carpets just some persian carpets to three steps the first step is to observe carpet models so there's a lot of observation required the second step is to memorize the models that you observe uh-huh. And the third step is to improvise. And this is where the creation part comes. And people expect people to begin from point three right away, improvising, yeah. creating. And that's what creativity and spontaneity is marketed to be all about. Mm-hmm. 
okay? So the observation component, so your activation of your, sense, uh, your senses is not regarded as important. Your activation of your memory, the second component, is not regarded as important. People expect you to be creative and innovative from nowhere, just you know, being creative, being yeah. uh, gifted, being whatever. That's so amazing, Sabir. I'm sorry to, to interrupt, <laughs> but I think that applies to everything else and not just car carpet weaving, like uh, the, the, the overemphasis on people being extremely creative, thinking out of the box yeah. without memory and history. And we see it sometimes in uh, extremely... Uh, quote unquote progressive approaches to education where they say, yeah, we don't need curricula. We don't need structure. We don't need, let's just let kids be fully creative. I mean, I love that, but without memory and history, right. how can you improvise, right? How can, how can yes. a, a, a virtuoso in jazz or in classical music improvise if they haven't had the history and memory, right? In, in that discipline or in that uh, art. So I love what you're saying about carpets. And I felt that it also connects to so many other things in life. But yes, sorry, go ahead. I'm glad you made this connection because, you know, history is indeed important. And, and I want to also emphasize another important point. It's the present. So it begins by observation. Mm -hmm. So you have to observe what's presently available because, mm -hmm. you know, history changes. Its traceability is difficult. So, so you mm -hmm. have to have a starting point. So yes. your, your present is extremely important in order to memorize and create history. So present uh, history starts from the present. Mm -hmm. It doesn't start from the past. Yes. So you have to observe something, memorize it, and then you disseminate it or, you know, use it. Mm -hmm. It becomes a new starting point. Mm -hmm. So this uh, ties back to our conversations on how, you know, even those improvis improvisations need to be structured in order for them to project appreciability. Mm -hmm. So... Um, so yeah, and and you know, um, you know, it is an art of appreciation because because after some time of um, spent in replicating older designs, those women who are weaving these uh, carpet uh, carpets, even that previous model which they quote unquote appreciate, you know, to use, mm -hmm. becomes unnecessary. It loses appreciability because now it's in her head. Mm -hmm. So she is very experienced and hickey, a light handed, you know, mm -hmm. very light in weaving the design. So now there's no need for her to go back to that carpet to appreciate it because she appreciated her in her mind. It's in her mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with its uh, and and with the mind comes its own imperfections and the you know the the accent of the memory. Yes. A memory has an accent, and this is how it's reflected in the carpet. Beautiful. Because, you know, um, I am an Arabic speaker, right? And I have an accent in English because of my multiple experiences with the language. So I learned my grammar from, from British or English textbooks and my literature from American textbooks and my spoken English from my teachers, my Lebanese teachers. Yeah. So I have a particular accent, which doesn't tell much about what I know, but it, it just shows you, oh, I have an accent if you are a, a speaker of a particular language, right? Mm -hmm. And the same thing with the memory. A memory has an accent, I think, like the way you memorize something and the way you um, uh, translate it into, um, you know, or, or express it, mm -hmm. uh, there is an accent in this. And sometimes this accent is, um, you know, sometimes you want to pronounce your accent even more. And sometimes you want to try to hide it. And sometimes, you know, you're not even aware mm -hmm. of it. So this mm -hmm. is what carpets are like. And sometimes those mistakes don't appear as mistakes in the weaver's head, but mm -hmm. um, they end up, you know, being so after having seen it, they realize oh I did that so that's for the second part of your question in terms of whether we can appreciate carpets even after they have uh, they have a different purpose mm -hmm. so um, to answer your question on the flying carpet now yes okay so I, as, as a kid you know um, who grew up in Lebanon and you know with honestly with limited access to um, to children um, material, teaching materials. Mm -hmm. um, my, my family appreciated education, but not very much reading or stories mm -hmm. or extracurriculars. They found um, other things more important, not necessarily education, but just other things, kind of like, you know, spending time with my grandma and mm -hmm. her carpet in her carpet shop. Okay. So, um, so, so she had a TV in that shop <laughs> and um, I used to watch um, Disney Channel and over there, basically... I used to like to watch Aladdin and because it was a bit relatable, 
And I think this is a nice uh, uh, time to tie this to the concept of flying, um, which is true because Aladdin, you know, when you think of Aladdin, the first thing that comes to mind is this flying magical carpet. I mean, mm -hmm. at least for me, which I find to be very true. Carpets, they travel in the most mysterious ways. Like, you know, if you want to try to track how those non-commercial carpets have landed, um where they did you know you'd hear such a as bunch in my of corridor. stories i'm sorry yeah, yeah. such as in my corridor yeah, yeah. it yeah. ended up in your corridor and you know it started it started with a woman who had to weave carpets to help her family back in the 1960s and to mm -hmm. find wool of sheep that didn't have oily skin so that the wool is good enough for the wealthy families you know mm -hmm. so um so it was there's a journey here okay yeah. so in a way the the story of the carpet and how it ended here in your house is quite magical mm -hmm. and many things you know many many experiences in our lives are like that right like how many times have you met people whom you've asked so how come you studied this or how come you did that and how yeah. come whatever and they tell you oh you know it happened in a strange way or um i didn't mean for it to happen or oh i had to transfer and oh and then you meet other people who'd be like yeah my life is like a movie but guess what everyone's life is like a movie okay yes. and and it's just that we don't all have you know the right network the right connections to actually for someone to see it and you know to make a story out of it mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, our lives are like carpets. It's like a sequence of decisions. And sometimes you are proud of these decisions. Other times you're not. Sometimes you've, you've purposely made those decisions. Other times you haven't. You didn't even think it was a decision in, in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it's a constellation of actually so many things. Um, events, um, factors, circumstances um, that are internal and external to us. And how they all intersected at this one point in time. And imagine this constellation happening, you know, ever from birth to your, you know, to your present now. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it's like a carpet, you, you know, your life is knotted temporally, spatially, um, uh, mentally. You, you have, there are lots of knots, but yeah. you don't see them. And if you turn the back of a carpet, it's, um, I mean, before the, pro uh, the product is there, you will see how messy it is, the knots. But, you know, once you have it in your house, it's actually not as messy. Even if you turn, you realize, oh, it's actually a nice work of art. And that's how magical our lives are. Mm -hmm. And that's how, uh, you know, uh, it's like flying. It's flying in the sense that, you know, yes, you don't know how it reached your, uh, your its final destination. But also, if you think about it, you are like a flying carpet. You don't know how you made it here. You never, like for me, I never planned for myself to um, study at the PhD level, right? And, you know, to do all of these things. Because, you know, for at one point in time, it was so clear to me that I was a laboratory scientist. I was going to med school. And, you know, life happens. Mm -hmm. Life happens. Mm -hmm. So, so Yeah. That's how, that's my take on how magical carpets are and how relatable they are to our lives and how, in a way, we are kind of like carpets. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Amazing. Okay, for a final question, what carpet are you currently flying on? Ah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I know it's probably a carpet in the making, but what's what's your current magical carpet? If you could just share with us, because I know that you've recently transitioned into uh, a new life, new world, new experience, pursuing your PhD, where well, a double doctorate. And so what's one thing, maybe if you don't want to get into too many details, one or two things that uh, you're kind of grappling with, you're, you're, you're weaving around with in, in your carpet right now? What kind of a magical carpet are you, are you on right now, to put it very plainly? Okay. You know how we are actually um, encouraged to have a vision, have a long-term uh, sighting of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's this pressure like, oh, you have to have a vision and work towards it and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, I just feel like this defies the concept of a carpet. So you kind of have a vision, but you also don't at the same time. There's this duality in the vision. Mm. Um, you, you have an idea, a general idea about the direction you're taking, but not so much about uh, what it, if, whether it will look like that or not at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. um, right now, what I'm doing in, with my carpet is, is more... I'm, I'm, I'm trying to 
find a voice. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find a voice. I feel like I don't want to find uh, one voice. You know, mm-hmm. I'm struggling in in uh, the idea of disciplining myself, kind of like being a disciplinary person, but um, it's not something that I find myself being able to commit to because my my interests are intersecting they may see, may they may appear disconnected mm-hmm. but that's not the case from where i'm seeing things and in a way i'm trying to hone in what i think um is the 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 common denominator mm-hmm. between amongst my interests and um, I'm, I'm talking at the academic level, right? Yes. So and, I, I get yeah. I get from what you're saying is that you have so many different interests. You're trying to find your own voice when it comes to a certain discipline or field, uh, uh, you know, professional field to find to locate yourself in. Is that what you're kind of thinking about? Yes. So mm-hmm. in Arabic, we have this concept called al-haql al-mu'ajami, which is like um, um, the kind of like the lexic or, or maybe the word bank not world bank word bank of <laughs> um of ideas so for example if i say sun it, it should connect you to all the ideas that are related to the sun this could mm-hmm. be fire yellow heat space um uh, planets and whatever i mean it's outer space not planets but uh, so this is the kind of um uh, package it comes with pa- thought package mm-hmm. and i think th- that's what I'm trying to work on. Like when someone thinks of Samira, what comes to their mind? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be too disconnected or too dispersed. I'm trying to, to, to see myself through other people's eyes. So I know myself, but I want to get out of myself, you know, act of introspection in a way, to mm-hmm. step out of myself, to look at how others see me to see if this is what i how i would i wanted or intended to be seen mm-hmm. and um to kind of weave accordingly right mm-hmm. um so i i know myself but you know a fish in a pond um, is not aware that it has lived its entire life in a pond except when it's out of this pond mm-hmm. you have to take it out so that it knows that there's something called you know um being wet or being in, a, in water yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and being dry or out of water. Mm-hmm. So it's not easy. And um, it, perspective taking is not easy. And it's, yes. especially when you are trying to take yourself out of your own perspective. So usually we try to put ourselves in others' perspectives, uh, to, to, in others' shoes. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you want to, to um, distance yourself from yourself, it's not as easy of a job. Uh, yes. of a task it requires a lot of you know um, activation of your senses because you want to get to know yourself but you know in a different way don't take yourself or what you know about yourself for granted you know step mm-hmm. back see what other people how other people see you or you know understand you yes i think it's uh the the, the russian uh, thinker bakhtin who speaks about the idea of excess of seeing. And I don't know if I understand it correctly. And he mm-hmm. speaks also of the third in any conversation. So and you and I are right, right now having a conversation right now. There's a third participant in our conversation, which is, uh, let's take Mahmoud for a minute. Right now, I'm as I say these words to you, I'm thinking about how you are perceiving me saying these words to you, as well as some... Uh, audience out there and how they are perceiving you me saying this to you and how you will react to it so there's always there's an always excess of seeing I felt from what you were saying that you're trying to see from Samira's perspective how others if you take their perspective would look back at Samira and see her right and that's what Bakhtin calls an excess of seeing if I'm not mistaken and it's so true because in any conversation there's always the third third person third uh, entity that is partaking and participating and that it's as if there's a narrator to to the story right. of our conversation right now yes right. yeah absolutely absolutely and and you know this requires a lot of focus you know this excess of seeing you know mm-hmm. you, not excess of what you saw or what you will see it's mm-hmm. like excess of seeing in the present mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and and i guess to tie it back to our little um pun um, um carpet dm yes you know it's more about the present than the future mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's about being able to um uh, absorb 
what's in the present and to, to be able, you know, like like putting more emphasis on the present time. So I'm not um, an advocate of YOLO, YALLA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I like to call it. <laughs> like yeah. you only live once and YALLA, let's do whatever it is. But like, yeah. no, it's like, you, like you, remember that YOLO. <laughs> remember that you only live once. <laughs> <laughs> and remember that, you know, this moment is right now. And... Yeah. And, you know, yeah, and it will affect the future. So e- even though um, it seems like it doesn't really focus much on the future, in fact, it does, because you're focusing on one future, which is you might not have a future, and that's big. And how does that help you deal with what you're currently trying to do, which is to find your voice, uh, to weave, you know, your carpet vis-a-vis all of these different things that you're going through right now? Yes, so I feel like... Um, a scholar, you know, the occupation of a scholar is um, is sometimes burdens you with the task of being observed all the time mm-hmm. through your writing. And this is my carpet, right? What I write is what I weave. And, and my paper is my carpet. And mm-hmm. it, it says a lot about you sometimes, but, but even though it's a series of decisions, right, that have... Um, that have emerged and you know been woven with mistakes and all that mm-hmm. but nevertheless if i want to think of it it's a snapshot of samira at one point in time so it's mm-hmm. it doesn't do full justice to my um to my thought process it only gives people a snapshot of what happened at one point in time and what was going on in my mind but you're always burdened with this task of being observed and you know carpets are made for the eye yes And they were designed for being seen. Yes. I love what you just said, because I also have had to struggle a lot with the idea that whatever we put out there, whether a paper, whether a podcast, we might be listening to this podcast a few years down the line and say, say, wow, look at some of these ideas. They're amazing. Or, oh, my goodness, did I say that? Did Mahmoud say that? Or who knows? It's a snapshot. But the problem is with media, I've realized, and that had affected me earlier when I was younger and a little bit more immature. And now with social media, especially, we see all of these figures, polished figures on social media, uh, flaunting their successes, flaunting their perfections, right? Be it physical or intellectual. We fail to see... The, the background mess, like, a you know, I, what comes to mind is the vision of a comet. From one side, you see it as bright and glistening and beautiful, but behind it, there's a tra- trail of debris and a mess that it's dragging behind it. Unfortunately, media today only shows us one face of the comet, but the tail is hidden. And I love that you're talking about that because I, I feel like when I talk, especially to younger people, like my students who are in their late teens, early twenties, they are still under the impression that if they are not perfect in a certain talent of theirs, then that they should not pursue it. Uh, although that's how people get better at what they do. That's how they find and they they weave their own carpet. So that's that's something I've grappled with. I've I've had to struggle with and come to terms with that. That's fine. It's okay. That's this is one carpet. I've put it out there. Uh, people appreciate it. Don't appreciate it. I go. I can go back to it. Not go back to it. But it's it's just one of my carpets. Yeah, and you know, to add to that, um, in, you know, the reality of the matter is that um, temporariness is pervasive. So we are, you know, very unfairly and misguidedly encouraged and pressured and taught um, to seek only what's permanent and lasting. And yes. you know, we lose what's um, what happens in in moments, right? So it's kind of like what you do. It's no longer a snapshot. It's more like a grave slate, you know. Like yeah. um, it's like it's as if it's there to stay forever. In, in a way, it is, but but not, not in that sense. It's too much pressure, given that you know by design we are not even there to stay forever. We yeah. are temporary beings, and True. and again, this relates to carpe diem. Um, you know, you have to remember that you're here for some time, not mm-hmm. forever, and. And yeah, so so we have to kind of, you know, make use of the now and incorporate it and, you know, uh, fuse it with and our thought process to the future. It doesn't have to always start from scratch. And yeah, yes. you, you, ha- you know, also like, for example, this concept of publish or perish and uh-huh. reality is that it's publish and perish, not or. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> you publish and you perish, and That's because so because you're pushed to say stuff that you know you might not agree with, you know, frankly, even though it's yourself, but you you can, you don't get the chance to have an aesthetic distance between you and what you did. Yes. So you end up being like a visitor to, at you know, like it's kind of like going to a museum and then realizing it's your work and you're like, oh, that's me. Oh, why did I do that? Yes. You know, you're becoming now someone who's investigating your own artwork in a way. Another thing that you made me think about right now, and uh, I'd love to also maybe get your thoughts on it. And it's something that I've also struggled with. So I have an academic background and mm -hmm. so I was trained to think that for a while, especially working in academia, that whenever you want to produce anything, it has to be really polished right? There's an excess of seeing where you put all of your peers who are going to read your research or whatever in your mind while you're writing. As, as you said, you are pushed sometimes to write for your audience, which is a, a select elite few in the field that you're studying or whatever. And, and therefore, what you produce is something completely polished. It's a, it has to be a gem, right? Or at least we'd like to think it is. Versus today, uh, you look at a lot of the social media gurus out there who tell you since everything's happening on social media and being consumed on social media, most people are on it. They say, you know, you don't ever think about producing anything perfect because people are going to consume it in a few seconds and then they're going to move on. So you find all these people like these influencers who go viral with their ideas, mm -hmm. be they public intellectuals, they just produce videos and content that they know their consumers are just going to consume for a few seconds and that's it. And they laugh at anybody who tries to produce something that has, that is even semi-polished. It's as though instead of making carpets, these people are just giving their consumers um, the end of the thread every time and tell them just pull. And they keep pulling and pulling and pulling. They never get a carpet. They get a, you know, a big pile of wool at the end because mm. me as a consumer, I really don't learn that much from these little short videos sometimes or some of them I do learn from but at the end of the day I feel like I have a big pile of wool but not a carpet versus mm -hmm. in the past I had these very beautiful polished carpets but I couldn't even step on them or use them right mm -hmm. so uh, how do we find that I don't know if you've thought about this you've just made me think about this I'm trying to find that balance between whatever we do even this podcast or something I'm writing or something I'm I'm trying to you know create that is a carpet is woven on the go but it's finally going to be a carpet and not just a pile of wool if you get my gist yes what are your thoughts on this yes those carpets we're seeing today are commercial carpets mm -hmm. that's what I think they are um they may or may not have a story mm -hmm. um but but they're more commercial and they are there for con for consumption. They're there, they're out there to be consumed and they are aware of that. Uh -huh. And they're making use of that and they're serving that purpose only. Yes. So so by you making a carpet out of it, now that's an achievement for those for, for those videos, right? It's a huge achievement. It's an inspiring story, maybe worthy of a movie. Mm. You know, this mm -hmm. would maybe call for a polished video. Mm -hmm. And and if you think about it, feedback is what they seek most of the times. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, they live for comments mm -hmm. and appreciation. And, you know, um, so I, I think we will, we are, not we will be, we are bombarded with piles of wool, but not too many carpets. And, and unfortunately, um, if you want to think of it in another way, again back to our field in academia mm -hmm. it's kind of like uh, I sometimes feel like I'm a circus monkey <laughs> because because I'm expected to jump into a, a hoop of fire and then you know under the water and then you know perform a little dance and maybe uh, clap with bells or whatever you know <laughs> by simply being asked to write for an academic to, to an academic journal and then to present at a conference for 20 minutes but then hmm, maybe yeah. you have 10 minutes and then <laughs> maybe you have to write for a non-expert audience and then mm, what about an op-ed and then and then a blog let's keep it casual you know that's yeah. like a blog post and then you know what we need tweets you know less than 150 characters like okay <laughs> like <laughs> like that's unfair you know just to put it this way yeah so it's kind of like um consumerizing what's not necessarily you know that you know it's like re-consumerizing something that's already for consumers in a way yeah. like it's just you know it's really um 
pushing that concept to, to the farthest point like yeah. uh, and guess what sometimes those different media or ways of writing that we're expected to do they push you to, to they push you a lot but you know unfortunately sometimes they also lead to piles of wool because mm-hmm. um, you don't even know whether they've reached whoever they have intended to reach but the idea is that that's what you should be doing anyway right mm-hmm. for you to exist in mm-hmm. the academic sphere that's your existence so so the purpose is now your survival in this world more than actually delivering the message even though it seems like at a superficial level that you are doing your best to deliver your message and that's why most of the work that counts to me doesn't count to the field that i'm in and vice versa so so when i'm doing a video for example advocating for um you know people learning sign language to be able to communicate rather than flaunting an italian language that i might never use you know, this doesn't really count much. It doesn't count as credit. And, you know, sometimes you do things not because you want them to count, mm-hmm. because it's what counts maybe to me. And mm-hmm. that's perhaps, uh, so maybe there are two carpets that I'm weaving at the same time, one for my personal use and one, you know, for the world. Yes. Beautifully said. <laughs> Did I talk too much? <laughs> Every every knot you made was a perfect knot. When <laughs> went somewhere in the carpet, it had a perfect position. You told me that you got me this beautiful gift, which I really treasure, and it's in my corridor, uh, because you you thought that there are certain um, similarities between a corridor and a and a flying carpet or a strange carpet. And I remember in your message to me, you said a corridor is a space of extreme temporariness, right? And it's not a room, but it's a passage that you take from one place to another. It's a little bit of a nomadic liminal space, in other words. And for me, I love corridors because of, you know, a little bit sad, traumatic memories. During the the civil war in Lebanon, we used to hide in corridors because they were conveniently situated in the house. You could, uh, you know, run to the front door quickly or enter any other room in the house. So we used to gather in corridors during times of uh, war, you know in order uh, to, to shield ourselves from you know, flying bullets. But in, in those corridors, we used to talk about a lot of things. I, some of the dearest memories I have of stories, my grandmother's stories, my mom's jokes, my dad's jokes, et cetera, were in these corridors. And in these transient spaces, I've learned so much. I've also learned so much from students walking with them down corridors after classrooms. So after leave, leaving the structure of a classroom and walking with them down a corridor, uh, we, we've, we've talked about so many interesting things and learned so much from students. So I love the transience of corridors. They are a structure, but they are also, they have that uh, transience and uh, temporariness in them. Uh, so it's kind of like the way I balance between in my head structure and uh, change, right? Permanence and temporariness. And uh, I felt that you also kind of think of carpets in a similar way. So I'd love to hear your final thoughts on that. Okay, sure. Um, I think it's very important to tie it to the concept of corridor since this was um, the spark. Uh, this is where the idea was ignited, right? To get a carpet in the first place. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's also not easy to... Um, uh, you know, wh- when you give someone a carpet, you're also burdened with the task to talk about it. Okay, mm-hmm. so so you can't just give someone That's a carpet. True. Yeah, because this is um, part of the ability to make it appreciatable. And it's not to market it because I'm not giving it to you as something to sell, mm-hmm. even though you may use that. That's not for me to decide on. But I mean, uh, my duty is to tell you why this carpet, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, because it's a, a gift. So it's important to give you that up. <laughs> Uh, yes. I, love <laughs> I love that. The pun. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, in a way, you know, the the structure of a corridor. You know, when you think of a corridor, the hallway, it's in a building. It's in in a permanent structure, concrete mm-hmm. structure, not in a tent. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, those carpets. Um, you know, you nomads or the nomadic community. Uh, they do not have this element of permanent housing. It's mm-hmm. always life on the go. And a uh, corridor, it, by, you know, by, by nature, by, the, by design, it defies the concept of um, a tent. 
because you're not always carrying your house and leaving. Okay, mm -hmm. you change your house, you have a new corridor. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. If there is one in the first place. So, so what those weavers did with this carpet is that they actually wove in their their own. They they wove two things: their temporarinesses and their permanences mm -hmm. so there are two things so the carpet that you have has two designs two symbols one of them is the symbol of the tribe what's permanent mm -hmm. to them their identity and what's temporary which is um, their animals and how you know animals die and you know animals are always on the go yeah. some of them fly away but they're necessary because because they carry their food baggage their mer merchandise and all that Mm -hmm. And they wove both elements, what's temporary and what's permanent, on one permanent object mm -hmm. that is intended to settle. Mm -hmm. So even though the weavers are not people who have settled, mm -hmm. the object will settle because it will be placed uh, in a, uh, as, a, as a very valuable item in the house of a family or uh, a person who, uh, who is privileged enough to actually have the luxury of not always being on the go. Mm -hmm. So th this carpet, you know, sometimes they're not really made uh, for corridors, mm -hmm. which are anyway, uh, even though there are parts of necessary of permanent housing, um, but the corridor is, um, as you said, it's this liminal space. So the carpets are usually made for central parts of the house, like a living room, a bedroom, uh -huh. a salon, a whatever. Nevertheless, you have corridor carpet designs. Don't get me wrong. They've made that, actually. Mm -hmm. So so this is kind of like um, an evolution in the carpet design, mm -hmm. in a way, mm -hmm. because, you know, corridors weren't really there. They became. So so does the mm -hmm. carpet. It has to level up its carpet game, right? It has to <laughs> keep up. <laughs> <laughs> you know but but then again you know the carpet can simply be rolled and carried along even if the person leaves uh -huh. okay so um where it flies to is uh, unknown but it only what's known as one thing okay so regardless of how that carpet reached your the surface of your house um we don't know the entire trajectory of its journey but what we do know is that something happened to its first owner and then the second owner and the next owner. And, you know, to the life of the supposedly more stable and stronger person, irrespective of what that event was. Mm -hmm. Was it death? Did they have to sell it to make money? Did they have to give it as a gift to someone? Did their children inherit it? You, know, you don't know. Yeah. The point is that what you know is that the person no longer possesses it. And why are we even sure of this? It's because you possess it now. Exactly. So yeah. it flies. It flies in the physical sense and in the um, metaphorical sense. Amazing. Well, Samira, thank you so much for taking me and I'm sure everybody else on this beautiful, strange and magical carpet ride today. I've I've really I think you've. I think I I was I think you were you were Aladdin and I was Jasmine on that carpet. This time. <laughs> And I'm comfortable with that because you took me on a magic <laughs> carpet. You've shown me the world, right? Let's not get, get into all the stereotypes in, in the Disney movies and critique them. And, you know, we, we talked about the circus monkey. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's Abu. What's his name? Abu. In the... Yes. Anyway, uh, I, I was, I was uh, Jasmine today because you've, you, your carpet ride got me really to think of a magical world out there and to make many connections and to weave many connections of ideas that I was grappling with but I couldn't connect in the past and and this journey has helped me connect them and I'm sure I hope it has also helped a lot of our my audience um, our audience today uh, make connections and uh, maybe add a few a few more knots to the carpets they're weaving Thank you so much. I will add one last pun. Yes, I hope um, يكون, inshallah ما يكون في قطب بخفية تضطر كتير We hear that. Like, hidden it, knots. Hidden knots. We have, uh, this, this is used, by the way, in a lot of uh, political discourse in Lebanon uh, that, you know, there are many hidden knots that uh, there are. Yeah. Not, but yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I'm sure maybe there are a few, but uh, <laughs> they're part of the imperfections and of the mystery of these. Right, people. right. So thank you so much again. 
Thank you for having me as your guest. It was a pleasure to talk about this. And I know that no matter how much I talk about it, I will never do enough justice to this um, this concept, right? Because it's more of a concept than an item in my head, in my mind, and I'm always thinking about them. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to actually talk about it. I never, I rarely ever have the chance to do so. Yes, and it, it shows how much passion you have for, for carpets and uh, for your childhood experience with your grandmother and and with these carpets and how much they actually tie into and weave into uh, who Samira is today. So thank you so much again. Um, thank you. I mean, we don't know, when, where it's going to end up, right? And, and I'm happy, I'm happy with weaving it uh, with you. So whatever happens to this carpet, I'm, I, it was really, for me, uh, a great experience uh, working on this carpet with you. So, uh, thank you so where, much. Wherever it may land. Yes. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Totally agreed.